Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Well, of course, that would be that would be God to set us up already in this idea of restoration. Because if you heard Dorota's words, if you read any of the lyrics to our songs, there's a theme today, this restorative, this, this talk of what was once broken, can it be redeemed, restored, renewed? And so, first of all, guys, do you see my colors? Feeling a little restorative action in our city? Yeah? People were very excited yesterday over the Bengals win, restoring a playoff win to the city yesterday. And our household was abundant in sound as the game went on. I want to tell you another act of restoration. Someone who lives here in Walnut Hills, I want you to meet a neighbor named Nancy Chase. Nancy has visited Echo Church before, and she and her family are very dear to us. And she lives just up the street. And very creative woman. She makes candles. She makes jewelry. But her day-to-day job is restoring antique furniture. She has private clients. She will go into people's homes. And she's also contracted by everything but the house, if you've heard of that organization. And they're the ones that took these photos as they did a profile of Nancy in their recent newsletter. Now, the best thing is to take a walk with Nancy through this neighborhood, through East Walnut Hills, through Mount Adams, and we'll see a really cool house. And it's like, oh, that's so beautiful. And she'll say, that's one of my clients. I've been inside. And I'm like, tell me everything. Tell me the views. Tell me what the rooms look like. And she has all of these stories. And she said her heart, the reason why she really started to enjoy when she apprenticed and learned how to restore antique furniture she said, it's really about the people that you connect with. She said, you, you go into people's homes and you realize that they, they've been given something. A lot of times people have inherited these treasured memories. And it comes in the form of furniture handed down generation to generation. So she loves the opportunity to bring life to it again. If something's broken to fix it. She said her favorite thing is color. When you can restore the color and the shine, she said it just brings a whole new enrichment to a piece of furniture. She said shellac is her favorite tool. I had to ask these questions because I was fascinated. Now, here's the first example I want to give you. Now, all of the examples of her furniture, hopefully we can see on the screen, is these photos were printed photos taken by her amazing husband, Gary Kessler, who is a photographer, and I just took a cell phone photo of the print. So I'm sorry for the quality, but just wanted to try to give you examples. Nancy declares that this item of furniture was the smelliest restoration she ever did. So some people inherited a farm. There was an old barn on the farm and this thing was hidden in there. No one knew it existed and they were going to throw it away and then thought, maybe, maybe there's something someone can do with it. She's like, there was chicken poo on the, on the material itself. She's like, as soon as you rip that off and just tr- covered over, stripped it down so that it didn't smell anymore. And if you want to click the next photo, we're going to see the result, how everything was pieced back together. 
Now, I, she also told me that in her work, when she first meets a client and evaluates the piece of furniture, she has to decide, should it be refinished or restored? And I was like, well, tell me about those two things. She kept using these two words. So the first example is refinishing is this chair, if you'll see next. Now, Nancy says to refinish means you take the wood down to its bare form, strip it, sand it, chisel it if needed, and you build it up to finish in with wood filter, filler where pieces are missing. There's stain, shellac, and wax are all part of this process. And she said she would choose to refinish something if the material is just too far gone, like the wood is so dry that there's nothing left within it where she has to add to it. And you can see the beautiful result. Now, the other process is restoration. The next photo is a mirror. And she said, here, you don't strip it all the way down because the, she just uses supplies like oils and wax because you enhance the wood. She said, there's already things there. There's enough goodness in that piece, and she just brings it out. And he or she fixes it up where pieces were broken. So she told me, the greatest joy of my job is returning a piece in better condition than it was before. I help people see what they couldn't really see when they gave it to me. And she has stories of one particular couple where the husband was like, "Let's, let's fix this. And the wife was like, I don't really want it at all. And then she fixes it. It's an inherited piece. And they receive it back. And the wife said, I was ready to just write that off. You made something out of it that's beautiful that I didn't, I didn't see there before. So this process of restoration, like I said, is our theme for the day. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8 and read two pieces of scripture today. We're in our Journey of the Redeemed series. And this segment is called Strengthen the Feeble, Steady the Knees. Because Jesus is coming alongside people. And while he's healing them physically, he's also challenging them spiritually to keep growing. So I'm going to begin, before we have our first reading, a little something about our topic of the day. We're going to notice that the people in today's story, several different people, it says that Jesus has healed them from demons. This can be tricky. We've got a lot of thoughts. It can cause us a lot of confusion or a lot of debate and wondering, you know, like, did people fully grasp mental health issues back then? What did they label as demons? What do people, how do they manifest themselves today? We're not going to go into those details today. We're just going to say this says that they were demon-possessed. People have physical, mental, and spiritual lives. We're all mental physical, mental, and spiritual people. And so we might have issues that are in combination or one or the other. So today we're just going to say Jesus has power in all of these places. And we're going to look at the heart of the people and what he restored to them. So Garrett, if you'll read for us today from Luke chapter 8, the first section will be verses 1 through 3, please. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. 
So we have a list of people, and sometimes we're like, okay, great, that was a lovely list. Seems like a regular text. But there's some things here I want us to look at. As we have noted before, in Luke, he has talked about these 12. We've seen the number 12. There was these 12 particular guys who Jesus mentored, and they are going to end up being the leaders of the first church. When Jesus dies and goes back to heaven, again, he, these are the men who will set up the church after he's gone. Now, right now, they're still young men. Maybe some of them are in their late teens. So we're just picturing these young guys that Jesus is mentoring. But that's not the only people following Jesus as we've watched him go from town to town to teach and to heal. And so we must imagine a larger group of people. And in particular, we're getting to hear about these women. We've got a couple of names here. Luke shares some other names in other places, and it says there were many others. So we're just getting to meet a few, but we're going to imagine a larger group. Now, if you remember, there's some times where Jesus will heal someone, and then he will tell them, go back to your home or, or go here. And then some other people, he'll say, follow me. So there's this different invitation of following or going back to your place of community. And it seems that these women had been healed and were a part of those he invited to say, travel with me. It also, we note their role, it says that they were helping to support the ministry. The word here in Greek is diakoneo, meaning to serve or to minister And that's where, if you've ever heard the word deacon as a role in a church, that's where we get that word, someone who serves and ministers for the Lord. So specifically, these women are serving the ministry of Jesus, but it says out of their own means. That's their finances. Somehow they have their own money, whether they have jobs or they have inherited property. Somehow they have the resources that Jesus needs. He's traveling around. He doesn't own a home. They've got to eat on the road, not just Jesus, but now 12 guys and all these additional disciples. So here they are this, you know, if you've ever signed up on Patreon, you know, you're supporting people. How Dorota has to raise funds to go minister, right? So Jesus, he needed some funds. And these women were the ones providing those resources. Now, it's not really implied that they were giving out of some obligation. It wasn't like, well, you healed me, so now I feel bad about it. No, remember when we talked about a couple weeks ago where Jesus said, I have my birth family, but I have my chosen family. And when he invited people to follow him, he was saying, I am choosing you as family. And so as part of that, they're sharing in their resources. They're feeling valued. They are being restored to their dignity and to their purpose after having been healed from the evil spirits. Now, I, women were not always trusted and relied upon in the religious community at the time. And I have hope that Luke is drawing our attention to show that women and men serving, deaconizing, ministering together in God's kingdom is a value to Jesus. And we're pointing that out. And also, this act of discipleship, what Jesus has done, is not, he's not only restored their health, their physical health, but now he has restored these women into a community, restored them to purpose. Now let's move on to Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 29, please. Oh, it's dead. That's fine. I'll just read for us. Thanks, Garrett. 
They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So we, we have this region of the Gerasenes, and based on geography, we might assume that this is a Gentile city, as in a non-Jewish area. So, so far, what we've read through the book of Luke is that Jesus has been ministering to people in his Jewish community. You know, he's talking to the religious leaders of the day, and he's staying within towns where he grew up. And now, as he's traveling, he's in part of the Decapolis, which was a 10 cities under Roman control. And based on where it was, and based on here in a few minutes where we're going to meet a pig farmer, and Jewish people would not have raised impure animals, they would not have been pig farmers, and we're going to assume that maybe this man, and definitely the people in this community, were Gentiles. So this is kind of our first peek into Jesus ministering beyond the Jewish people. The man, as we noted, it says he was from a town, but he had not lived in a house for a long time. He had not worn clothes. He was so isolated. And I imagine that he was both, you know, accidentally isolated. It says the demon was pushing him and and just making him go further and further away. And I think that's what we feel when we look at the difference between something evil that we would define as or something good is that evil wants us to feel alone, isolated. And yet here, Jesus approaches. And we also see that the man was probably isolated by his community. They couldn't control him. He was doing things that he was harming himself, but also there was just, there's probably some fear there because it says they were chaining him. They put chains on him thinking like that would help him, prevent him from hurting himself. When in the book of Mark, if you read the same story, one small detail says that he was even cutting himself with stones. There's some pain here. And, and people, maybe, maybe, in a, maybe they had the right motives, but it just doesn't feel very human, does it? To just to isolate someone, to chain them up. He was not being treated with that dignity. And so he was vulnerable, broken. And it says here, first we read, the sentences are kind of interesting because it says that he spoke, and we believe that those would be the demons speaking because it says, don't, don't harm us. Um, but he spoke, but it says, after Jesus had commanded the spirits to come out. So we actually know that Jesus was the one to speak to him first. He saw him, and Jesus drew close. We've talked about the importance of presence as we represent Jesus, because we keep seeing the way he draws close to people. Do you have a working microphone now, Garrett? Awesome. Can you read verses 30 through 33 for us? Thank you. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake that and was drowned. So again, we have the man speaking up, but we don't we don't know his real name. These are those spirits inside of him speaking up, legion, because it means many. And so here again, he's not even getting to use his own voice. And what I want us to note is that the demons within him speaking up, they recognize that Jesus was the son of God. They've spoke. They recognized his authority and there was fear there. Like that they knew, they're like, can you not send us there now? Like evil knew it was not going to last and they didn't want to head to their destination early. So somehow we grasp the fact that Jesus is recognized as good, not can't be in the presence of evil, and he's recognized as having authority over the spiritual, over all things. And so the other note would be if we hear the name Legion, I think the readers of the day, and maybe, maybe some of us who appreciate history who will know that Legion was the name of the regiment of the Roman soldiers. So if there was a legion of them, and they were the ones who were in this area showing their authority, they were the ones showing their control. And so for here, a, a legion to submit to Jesus, perhaps the early readers got a little bit of other hope to know, like, Jesus has authority of that physical, of that spiritual as well. If you will finish this story for us, actually, just go 34 to 37. Thank you, Garrett. Our microphone has not been our friend this week. That's fine. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into a boat and left. So here, when I first read that and think like, oh, people were scared, I was like, well, that's some crazy story about, you have like a herd of pigs running down um, a cliff and into the water. Like, that would be a scary thing to see. Sure, that would be. But do you see when they became afraid? When they showed up and saw the man from their community, now whole. Their fear came after this miracle and this restoration. That's when the fear came. And maybe, maybe, just like you see in like a superhero movie or whatever, like even when they were doing something good, it's like, oh, but you've got something I can't control. You've got some sort of power and I don't know how to put you in a box, Jesus, so I'll keep you over here. Seems a little scary because Jesus' power is not controlled by anyone. So perhaps in this moment, Jesus was like, that's okay. He heads into his boat and he heads away. But one more thing he says before he goes. Verse 38 through 39 says, the man begged to go with Jesus. He ran after him. 
Jesus sent him away saying to the man, return home, verse 38 and 39, tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town just how much Jesus had done for him. So did you see what Jesus did for this man? Just like my friend Nancy restoring furniture, Jesus is restoring at every detail. First of all, Jesus like saw him. He noticed who he was. He treasured him already as he was. And he saw his value within. So he restored his health, first of all. He wanted the man to have physical health again. He wanted to have mental clarity. He wanted him to have spiritual peace. Jesus restored all of that. He restored his dignity. The man was not wearing clothes, and now he's wearing clothes, and he's told to go back to his home again. Jesus restored the man to his community. He had been isolated, and now Jesus said, go back. You can go back now. Go back to your town. Go back to your home. Go back to your people. And also, Jesus restored his purpose. Because I don't know if you know people on the margins. And I don't know if you look around and you see and know some people in our city who are treated not so human sometimes because of physical or mental or spiritual burdens that they carry. And sometimes they are not treated with that same dignity. And sometimes people then think they just kind of write them off they still have purpose. We all have purpose. And Jesus, he spoke purpose to this man. He said, I know you want to follow me, but head back. Head back home. Tell your story. You know, that's kind of like the first person Jesus really commissioned. It's like, okay, go tell people. Because you remember, there's some other stories where Jesus is like, I'm going to heal you. And then I kind of need you to Keep, it, keep a lid on it for a little bit. For some reason, in this region, and this time with this man, he said, go, go tell. We know that Jesus had those disciples we were learning about, but we haven't read yet that they have been told to go out and preach. But this man, he's the first one that gets told, go, go tell. And so here, even though we've read stories of this healing of women who were healed and had purpose to join the disciples. This man who was healed and had new purpose restored to his life. But I bet there were still scars, you know? You don't go through trauma without scars. Emotionally, physically. There's some scars that they're still going to carry, but it didn't diminish their value. I got one more example to show to you from my friend Nancy. This piece right here, it wasn't my favorite when I looked through her, all of her pictures. But when she told me this story, I liked it. So this is called a pie safe. I don't know why. I think like a cabinet, like safe makes it sound like you're locking it up. Like keep all the pies away until they're ready. But that's where you would cool them. So the, the pieces with the little heart, is like that's metal and it has holes in it so that you know, the air can come through. They can ventilate. Now, when Nancy received this, there were so many layers of paint. She started to scrape away, and you can see on the left where she's scraped away one door, and you can kind of looks like white, yellowish white on this side. She said there was a layer of black first, then they covered it over with a layer of green, 
then yellow, and then white. Good night. There's so many layers of paint on that thing. Just kept covering and covering up. So I tried to zoom in on this next picture because you can kind of see like there's still different colorations in that wood stain, right? So those are all the aging marks. And you can still see that it's not going to be perfectly shiny and brand new when she restores it. And Nancy said she warns her clients of this fact. She said this, I tell people up front that this restoration won't make it look brand new. Not like a piece you can go buy at a store. You will see the age. But there's beauty in that. If you don't want to keep it covered, like the only way to protect it and never show any scars at all, any marks on something, if you want to see the natural wood, she explained, you also have to see the history. You've got to see the scars. I said earlier that we're all a combination of this physical and mental and spiritual beings. And I believe that we're not going to be healed from all of our burdens in this life. Still going to carry things, still going to have scars. But Jesus sees our purpose and our value and our beauty. And I believe also that God loves to work through other people. Jesus sent this man. Jesus could have gone to that man's hometown and gone himself to speak about God, but he wanted to use this man and his restored story to now be the messenger of God. I believe that we today are still asked to be messengers and helpers. I think how we can live, how we can live as the redeemed people of Jesus, we can help with restoration. We get to take part. God doesn't want to do it alone. He works through other people. We can help restore people to health. We can connect people to mental health professionals, to medical professionals. We have so many talented people here at Echo Church. You might be the professional we are connecting people to. Because I believe the Creator gives us all passions and abilities and the capability to learn. And I believe he works through doctors and medicines. I believe he works through therapists. I believe he works through research and care. And I believe that when we pray for our friends who are doing these things with their lives, who are giving, using their lives to care for others, that that also gives them strength. That we all work together. We can help people restore people back into community. We know people who are isolated. We can go be present with them. And when we show up, we bring Jesus' presence with us. And they're not alone anymore. We can invite people in and say, Echo Church is a community for everyone. No matter what burdens you carry, no matter what struggles you have, you're invited here to be in community with us. And you know what? We can restore people's purpose. You know what? Jesus, I just love how he doesn't just heal. He doesn't just hang out with people. He believes in them. He believes in them. We can believe in others and know that they have purpose. No matter where they are in their journey, that we all still have purpose. And one of those ways, you can just show up and care for people and another way is you can tell your story. Just like Jesus told that redeemed man to go tell his story. That's, that's part of restoration. When you share your story, your experiences, then you're helping 
in that process of restoration for someone else. Because there is somebody else out there who's afraid of their scars, who doesn't feel like they have meaning in their communities anymore, who feel like maybe their brokenness is just too much. There's just too many layers of paint that have been put on, and it's just so hard to find where your true self is, where your value that God put in you was. Some people have walked away from that. They've walked away from that hope. And when you tell your story, you might have heard people say, like, it's a testimony. That sounds like a fancy, like a fancy thing. Or like, you have to have a speech prepared. No, it's just like saying, this is my experience. Here's where I was low. Here's how I've moved forward. Because your story is that evidence of miracle and survival and hope. You living the next day, you're, that's a story. It's a story to hold on to. When you live again tomorrow, that's a story. And when you share that, you bring hope to somebody else. And you think, well, it doesn't mean anything, or I'm to this, or I'm to that, or I don't have my story all put together. But that's your evidence of a life restored by Jesus. And somebody else out there is going to see your story and relate in ways you may not expect. So when we come along and we're present with people and we're willing to share our experiences, we're taking part in restoration. We're praying with them and sharing with them what Jesus does for us and know that they too can find healing, restoration, value, and beauty in Jesus and in God's kingdom. Let's bring people purpose with our lives. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much that you do restore. Sometimes it's hard for us to see in our own lives because we can only remember all those layers, those burdens that were put on us. We just keep thinking of that, but that's not how everybody sees us. You've given us, you've revealed our beauty within and given us a new, a new shine. And we remember those scars, but everybody else sees us as restored, as survivors. Thank you. Thank you for believing in us when we have a hard time believing in ourselves. Give us the courage to share a piece of our story so we can be part of someone else's restoration. Thank you for wanting to use us and use who we are. Thank you for giving us purpose. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.